Listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. Thank you today, God, for bringing us here. God, we thank you for every visitor that's now part of the family, God. And we just pray that you would just minister to our hearts, minister to our lives today, God. We just ask that, God, you would just touch us supernaturally in every way, God, and and speak to our hearts, God, how we can be the change. But to be the change, we have to be changed. And God, change us today. Help us today. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. At 9 o'clock, we talked about home field advantage. Anyone know about home field advantage? What is important about home field is the support of the fans. Is that not correct? It's the same kind of t- ground. It's the same kind of turf. Grass is pretty much the same wherever you go. So it's not really the field that's different. It's the atmosphere. It's the support of those around. I want our church to be home field advantage. What do I mean by that? I want us just to rally. I I, I preach. I think I preach a whole lot better than when you help me. Some of you may say, man, he's a sorry preacher. Or you may say, I don't like what he's saying. Start shouting amen and just lift the game just a little bit. Come on. Because that's what happens as the crowd begins to cheer. Guess what happens? The team begins to do better. Because that's what home field advantage is all about. As they get into the game, guess what? The, the players respond and they catch something that they maybe wouldn't have caught before because of the support. Come on, I want our church every week to be home field advantage, that we would get into the word. Come on, that we would respond, that we would participate, that we'd be involved in it because it makes a difference. It makes a difference. And th- you know how it feels when you leave a game and your team's won? Doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it feel good? We don't like the feeling when our team lost because we talk about, man, I can't believe he played that person. I can't believe they did that play. But when they win, you're like, wow, was that incredible? You're high-fiving everyone. You're just loving it. You're loving it. You're loving it. Listen, church, every week we win. We win. Come on, we've not only got home field advantage, we win. We win. We win. So we can feel better coming in, but a whole lot better when we go out. Amen? So just be encouraged. And come on, let's build. As I begin to preach, if you like something, get up on your feet if you want and shout, Preach it, brother! Come on, if you want to get up and do a little twirl, if you just want to shout amen, you want to go, mm-hmm, whatever you want to do. Come on, this is home field advantage. Can I hear you in the name? Amen. So how's it going with Be the Change? Be the Change, the 21 days that we've set aside 
just to have a fast and just to really believe and seek God. How's your first seven days been? I know for some of you, it's maybe been tough. For some of you, you've got places you never thought you were going to go. You didn't think you were going to get past day one and you made it and, and it's been great. But for some of you, you maybe stumbled a little bit and you maybe fell just a little bit. That snicker bar had your name all over it, you know, and it was just screaming out at you and it would have been rude not to and you just had to oblige and you just had to hook it up and just take care of it because it was lonely without me and it needed me and I needed it. Well, no, it needed me. And you maybe stumbled and fell just a little bit along the way, but that's okay. Just pick yourself up and keep going. God's not going to chastise you for just slipping. Come on, just keep believing and keep trusting and keep holding true. Don't get discouraged. Nothing more Satan wants you to do than get discouraged along the way and keep it up. For some of you, maybe it's been great. It's been good. It's struggles. Maybe whatever it may be, you know, just keep your head up and keep trusting God and know that we're going to see great things happen. We're already seeing and we've already heard today the phenomenal things. Listen to what Tamara posted on our Facebook page on day three. I love this. She said, fasting doesn't make us superhuman or super Christians. What it does do is it really declares to us exactly how weak we are and how much we really cannot do it without God. Fasting doesn't make God hear you. It allows you and your spirit to be sensitive to his words and his Holy Spirit. Some say, I want to hear God. Wrong. God always hears us. But it's us that need to be still and listen. Don't you love that? I think that's really good. I think it presents it in such a a great way. And I'm going to also add this. Fasting does not bring God closer to me. I do not manipulate and control God just because I'm fasting and I'm setting aside some things in my life. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden God's just going to do anything and everything I want because it doesn't move God closer to me, but it moves me closer to God. It's a big difference that God doesn't move. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you're in a relationship with God right now and you say God seems really distant, He hasn't moved. You've moved. And it's time to move on back. And this is just a great opportunity for us just to really move in and just really seek God like never before. Come on, say with me, be the change. Come on, say it. Be the change. Come on, say it with some attitude. Come on, be the change. And say something else. Bring the change. On Wednesday, we talked about bringing the change to our world, the power that we have through praise and worship. If you've been reading our daily emails, and if you haven't been getting them, make sure and sign up at the Connect Zone so you can be receiving those. But for the last few days, we've been talking about, again, the power of praise and worship, releasing God into our world. Praise and worship is plainly and simply this, eyes off me and focus on God. Eyes off of my circumstances and placing them on God. And, and we've got some CDs, I think, still available from Wednesday night out in the lobby if you want to grab one on your way out. But turn with us again to Daniel chapter 6 and verse 3. This is our theme scripture that we're going to be using throughout the course of Be the Change from the life of Daniel. It says, then this Daniel, I love that, just this Daniel. 
this Daniel. That could be then this Robert. It could be then this Daryl. It could be then this Pam. It could be then this Chelsea. It could be either any one of us because it wasn't that Daniel was born to be royalty. It wasn't that when he was born, he was put on a pedestal and people said, this guy's going to be great and you're going to have to worship him. Something happened in an ordinary person's life that made him extraordinary, extraordinary. Then this Daniel, I love that. Why? Because I can put myself into the scriptures and see what can happen with this Daniel. Come on, with this Philip, when I give my life totally and completely over to God, then this Daniel distinguished himself above all the governors and the satraps, those in a position of authority. Why? Because a... Come on, we're home field advantage in the house. Come on. Because an... Because an excellent spirit was inside of him. It was what was inside of him that made him so great that the king thought about setting him over the entire realm. There was something inside of him, something great. It wasn't who he was, but it was rather whose he was. Catch that? Just a little difference that makes a world a difference. It wasn't who he was, but whose he was. He was God's and he gave his life to God. And as a result, God placed an excellent spirit in him that caused him to be above anyone and everyone else. I like how the Message Bible says he was so or he so completely outclassed all others. I like that. He outclassed all others. He was a class or a class, as you all say, a class above the rest. Last week we discovered, though, what produced that excellent spirit. How did that happen in his life? Because excellence doesn't just happen. There's a process that takes place. Yes, we open up our hearts to God and give Him our lives. But then there's a process of us building. What did Daniel do? And the boys around him, Rack, Shack, and Benny. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What did they do? They had a purpose in their hearts. They made their minds up not to be defiled, but to remain pure. They were going to keep pure. They weren't going to eat the food of the king. They wanted to be pure. Purity today is almost a curse word in the times that we live in. It's a forgotten world. If you would look up in most dictionaries, it would probably say purity is almost extinct. Really is. It's almost extinct, but aren't you glad it's not extinct? It's still alive, and we can make it alive. We can make purity cool. We can make it cool as we live for it. Come on, the best way is still God's way to be pure before God. And as a result of purposing in their life, as a result of having purity, they were able to go through the tests and the trials that life presented to them, and they were able to come out on the other side with flying colors. Look at what it says, Daniel 1 verse 15, and at the end of 10 days, they said, we're not going to eat the meat, we're going to not defile ourselves, we're just going to eat vegetables, we're just going to eat salads, we're just going to eat all those things. And the Bible says at the end of 10 days, their appearance or their features appeared better, they were fatter, they were greater, they were, the one translation says they looked better and they were more robust. I like that. I like that. Then all the other men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Jump to verse 17 and it says, As for these four young men, could be you, could be me, should be me, should be you. 
God gave them knowledge, skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. God gave them wisdom and understanding beyond what they had before. What are you saying? When they purposed in their heart, they would not defile themselves, went through the test and the trials. God on the other side came out and gave them something they didn't have when they went in. Come on, we're believing on the other side of be the change is going to be something you didn't have when you went in. Well, it was there, but it was laying dormant in your life. And God's brought it to life that God's increasing those things. Come on, wisdom. We need wisdom in our lives. We need a greater knowledge. And notice this. God gave Daniel understanding and visions and dreams. At that time, he didn't know why. He didn't realize there wasn't a dream yet. We're going to hear about the dream, but there wasn't a dream yet. But God gave him that. I believe during this fast and this time that we're saying, God, I want to be the change for my world. God's going to give some of you things that you're not going to understand right now. Because they're maybe not for now, but they're for the future. But just keep trusting God and keep believing God because God is preparing you. Uh Uh-oh, I'm jumping ahead. God's preparing you. And it says that the same promises that he did to these four young men is the same thing that he promises to do in your life. Today I want to look at the next test. Say with me, the next test. There's always going to be another test. And they're going to come sometimes thick and fast. You know, there's going to be another, 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 another. But no matter the test that came, Daniel and the boys were prepared. Because they lived ready. That's the thought I want you to grab a hold of today. They lived ready. I want you to hear that today. They lived ready. They lived prepared. I don't have this scripture on the screen, but I was reading it this morning and I just added it into my message. Proverbs 21 verse 31 says this, The horse is prepared for battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. I want you to see something right there. God does not saddle the horse. Come on, the horse is prepared. Who's doing the preparation? We are. We're preparing. God doesn't put the bridle on the horse. God doesn't groom the horse. God doesn't put shoes on the horse and take care of it. That's man's responsibility. It's our responsibility to prepare the vessel. And then guess what? Deliverance comes from God. But if there's no preparation, there's no deliverance. Someone's listening. We've got to be prepared. We've got to live prepared each and every day. And it's vital that we live. How can we be prepared? The Bible tells us. Aren't you glad? The Bible tells us that we don't have to worry and wonder that we can know. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says what? Be sober. Now I'm going to just take that literally today. And that is this. You don't need alcohol in your life. Going to make some people mad here today, but that's okay. Listen, I believe the Bible tells us that you are a priest and a king. And you know what the Bible says? It's not for priests and kings to drink wine and intoxicate in drinks. Now, there's so many different thoughts and feelings on this, and we're not going to go into it in detail. But I believe God's called us to come out from amongst them and be separate. And I believe that God says we've got to be sober. And that means in no way to be inebriated. That means in no way to be hindered or distracted or have things that cloud our minds that would make us do things that we shouldn't do. We already struggle enough without having something else to help us. Come on now. And I really believe that God wants us to be sober. But that word also means to be self-controlled. 
to have control in your life, to live with purpose. What does it go on to say? To be vigilant or watchful. Why? Because your adversary, your opponent, the one who's totally against you, the devil, walks about you like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is not your friend. The devil is not your friend. I like how the message Bible says, the devil is poised to pounce. And would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Oh, but it's just a little snooze. Bam, he's ready. He's just waiting. We've got to live prepared. He wants to what? Devour us. Has anyone ever seen those wildlife shows on TV? And you see the lions or something like that. And they pull down a prey and they have it laying there. Have you ever noticed they don't wait for everyone to come around the table? Have you ever noticed they don't wait till the table's set properly? Have you got your knife and fork? Have you ever noticed that they don't concern themselves about get your elbows off the table? Have you ever noticed that they don't wait and pray together and thank God for the food? What do they do? They begin to rip it piece by piece, limb by limb, tearing the flesh. That's the picture of what Satan wants to do to you. You've got to understand that he wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. You think Satan wants you to be happy in your marriage? No. He wants to destroy, to devour your marriage. He wants to steal your health. He wants cancer to come in your body. He wants sickness to come upon you. Why? Because he doesn't like you. He wants to kill you. He doesn't want your kids to succeed. He wants your kids to be lost and to be going off and doing these things. He wants your finances to be in the bucket. He wants you to be broke so you can be miserable. He wants all those kind of things. And well, you name it, whatever's good and whatever God has given you, Satan wants to take that from you because he comes to steal, kill and destroy. He wants to rob your life and to take your life. And just before we read on today, I want to make this point of what we just read. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Here's the point I want to make. You don't have to be afraid because of that. You don't have to live in fear because, oh, the devil's going to get me. Oh, the devil's going to get me. What if tomorrow I go and the devil... Listen, 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 listen. Too many people are looking for the devil instead of looking for God. Come on. Too many people are looking for the devil, anticipating, oh, the devil, I bet he's waiting for me tomorrow. I bet instead of looking to God, the Bible says, I will lift up mine eyes towards the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. Read it, Psalms 21. You speak about looking unto God, the author, the finisher of my faith, the one that can perfect and help and, and write the plan of my life. But yet too many of us are looking to the devil. Too many of us are giving the devil too much credit for our lives and what's happening in our lives. Listen to this. Are you ready? This is something you need to hear. You're going to say, ouch. You're going to say, my, my. You're going to say, wow. You're going to say something at the end of this. Are you ready? Usually the devil doesn't have to attack you. He just keeps you going on the pathway that you're already on. Negativity. Oh, he just encourages you along that. Fear. Just, just go ahead. Oh, it's just a little bit. Well, just try a little bit more. Satan doesn't many times have to come in and redirect our lives because we're already kind of creeping in the wrong direction. He just speeds up the process. He just moves us along. We better watch out. That's something to be concerned about today. I mean, did you hear that? We've got to be concerned because my life needs to be going in the opposite direction. I need to be running in head on with Satan perhaps every day because if I'm not meeting him head on, he's walking beside me. 
And the Bible clearly says that two can't walk together unless they agree. So if Satan's walking with you, there's agreement there. You're hooked up. You're connected. There's something going on. There's a relationship. You may not call it that, but that's what the Bible says it is. You need to be meeting Satan head on in your life. Come on. But I don't live knowing Satan's going to be hitting me head on. I don't live and lay my head on my pillow tonight and say, man, I'm really worried about tomorrow. I don't know. You know, I'm not living looking for the next attack. Come on. How miserable would that be? Well, man. I don't know if I need to get in my car. What if I have an accident and I die on the way to work? I mean, what if I go to work and the boss fires me? I mean, how silly would that be? How miserable would I be living like that? But yet so many of us are. We're constantly preparing for what Satan's going to be doing instead of being prepared that when the attacks and the tests come, that we'll be prepared to be what? Victorious. God has made us an overcomer. We can live a prepared, victorious life that no matter the circumstances, Answers the situations we can make it through. We're going to discover through this message we may be knocked down at times, but we get straight back up again. And we keep trusting and we keep believing God. So, how do we, how do I live prepared a victorious life? Glad you asked. Next verse of, of, of Peter 5, verse 9, it says, You've got to resist him. And here's how you resist the devil steadfast in the faith. Being immovable in God, putting your life upon the Word of God, being in true relationship with God, not flirting with this and and giving your heart and attention over here, but saying, God, I want to be steadfast in my relationship with you. Because when that happens, things begin to take place in your life. New Living Translation says, take a firm stand against Him and be strong in your faith. The Message Bible says, keep a firm grip on faith. Hold on to your relationship with God because your life depends upon it. If you're drowning and someone throws you a life preserver, you're going to hook every part of your body around that thing you could. Come on, you're going to move in ways that you never thought. You never thought your legs could get that high and wrap themselves and do. Why are you holding so far onto life? Because if you let go of that, you're going under. Come on, we've got to grab a hold of faith and we've got to hold it in our life and be immovable and stand steadfast in God. Why? Let's read on. It says, knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In other words, we're all going to go through the troubles. You may sit here and say, well, at least I'm not going through. You're going to go through something. Every one of us are. Verse 10, but may the God of all grace. I like why he says all grace. A lot of us just have a one side of grace. You know, one side of grace is saving faith, saving grace. Thank God for saving grace. If we, it's unmerited favor. That's what it means, that we don't deserve it, but yet His grace gives it to us. But how many knows that that's just one side of grace? The grace to save us. He wants to give us a grace also to live. Come on, that's a power that wants to live inside of us, a grace that's just like Popeye's spinach. You remember when he was a little bit weak, he popped the can and he got it, and he drunk it down, and all of a sudden Pluto was no match. Olive oil, hold on, I'm coming. Come on now. It was his grace. It was the power that God has available for us. God says that he's the God of all grace. All grace. No matter what you face in the trials, he's the God of all grace for your life. Come on, who has called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After you've suffered a while, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a moment. But guess what's going to happen on the other side? He's going to perfect. 
He's going to establish. He's going to strengthen. And he's going to settle you. I love that thought, settle you, literally means to replace your feet. Come on, he's going to replace your feet. You've been knocked out and knocked down, and God's just going to resettle you and say, now you're okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. I really wish I could preach these verses, but I've got to move on. This is still just the introduction. It's just the introduction of the message. You know, you may get knocked down. Trials and tribulations come and they may knock you down. But you know why we get knocked down many times? And seldom make it to the last part of that verse. Could you just go back to that verse, please, Susan? We don't make it to the perfect, established, strengthened and settled place. You know why? Because we're not truly standing in his faith. Oh, but pastor, you don't know what the devil has attacked me with this week. You don't know the bills that's mounting up. You don't know what I'm facing. You should see what he's done. You know what? I guarantee nothing worse has happened to you than what happened to Miss May last week. Losing her husband. But yet at nine o'clock she was sitting right where Miss Aminga is and her hands were in the air and she was praising God. She took a stand. She's standing. She's not bowing. She's not giving up. Life has been turmoil. It's, it's been hard losing her loved one. They've been married for 38 years, I believe. It's been a long time. It's been tough for her. But she's here saying, God, I don't understand it all right now, but I'm going to stand steadfast in the faith. And I'm going to keep trusting God. It may be sore for a while. And, and, and there may be something I may have to go through for a while, the sufferings for a while. But God, you're going to perfect me. You're going to establish me. Come on, you've got to see what happens when you allow Satan to come in and rob you. You've got to see what happens to your life. Look at the picture of your life. What happens to your life when you begin to believe those lies? What happens? I'll tell you where you're at. You're on your knees and you're not on your knees in prayer. You're on your knees begging for mercy because you're saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't make it. Come on, you're knocked down. The count is nine. The count is ten. They're getting ready to go. He's out of here. Why? Because that's what happens. But here's what you need to see. Here's what you need to see. You've got to get up and stand. Come on, you've got to get up and stand. You've got to stand in faith. You've got to stand in a confidence in God. I'm going to read a passage of scripture right now, and I need you to do me a favor. Can you do that? I want you to count how many stands you see in this scripture. You ready? How many stands? How many stands? How many stands? Ephesians 6 verse 10 says this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I like that, the power. Speaking of the excellence of the power, maybe of God and not of us. Remember from last week, that's the power of God. But stand in the power of his might. Can you, can you help me out today? Can you say this? It's his fight, not mine. Come on, say that with me. It's his fight, not mine. That's what the word might there means, that we can stand in his might because it's his fight that we can stand in and we can trust. Come on, his might is his fight. He's going to handle his business. He's going to take care of it all. Verse 11, so put on the whole armor of God that you, yes, you, come on, it's personal, it's for you right now, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's a lot of opposition. Come on, that's a lot of opposition there. 
But there's nothing we should fear about. It's not like he takes a delay. He says, therefore, in spite of all of those things, therefore, this is what we need to do. Come on, when it says therefore in the Bible, you need to look and see what it's there for. Come on now. You've got to see what God is trying to say. He says, therefore, take up the armor. No matter the opposition, no matter the struggle, no matter how bad it may seem, you've got to stand in the whole armor. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to win stand in the evil day and having done all to verse 14 first word stand 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 how many stands did you count there three stands there's actually three there if you've got five I love it I like your translation give it to me there's actually three stands there, but guess what else there is? There's a bonus withstand, which is an added one right there that we can have in our lives. But it says, he's talking about what? In verse 14, he says, you can stand in the truth, which is your belt around you. You can have righteousness, which is your breastplate. You can have the gospel, that's the shoes on your feet. You can have faith, that's your shield. You can have salvation, which is your helmet. You can have God's word, which is your sword. Come on. And you can have prayer, which just takes care of it all. God says all these things are available as we what? Stand. The three stands that he mentions there are a progressive thought. I haven't really got time to go into it and I've preached this in greater depth before. But the first stand is to stand in opposition to. You stand in opposition. If you know someone's coming through the door, you don't just kind of put your finger, come on, you, you shoulder up. You know what I'm talking about? You shoulder up. You, you get your legs back. You get in a standing stance because you're resisting someone. That's the first stand. But guess what? It happens in life. You get knocked to your knees. Circumstance of life, I don't care how strong of a Christian you think you are, you're going to find yourself knocked down at times. You're going to find circumstances and situations getting the better of you at times. We don't like to admit it, but it's better we admit it now so we can get it right. We're going to find ourselves down. The count is going to be gone. It's like the term of a boxer that you're knocked down on the canvas. But listen, here's the thought. The thought is this, that you get up again. That's the second stand that you get up. It was maybe a seven count, maybe an eight, maybe almost a nine count. But guess what? You're up again. You're up again. So the first stand is you're in resistance. You get knocked down, but you get up again. Come on, isn't there a song about that? I get knocked down, but I get up again. Okay? You get knocked down, but you get up again. And here's the third stand, which I really love, and it's this. Are you ready? Come on, devil, bring it. Come on, bring it, devil. Bring it. Why? Because I'm standing on God. Do you see the progression? I'm in opposition to, which is right, but I get knocked down to my knees, but I get back up again. And then I don't be afraid and don't say, well, I can't do it. I say, come on, devil, is that the best you had last time? Because look, I'm still standing in God. I'm still trusting in God. You see, we can stand in God and we can meet the tests and the trials. Get up and stand in God. Keep standing in God. But you know what I believe gets us dressed in the weapons of God? You know what puts on the whole armor of God in our lives? Praise and worship. Praising and worshiping God. Just every day, just flooding our lives with just an anthem of praise. Remember, praise and worship is eyes off of me and eyes off of God. Taking them off of everything that's going around and placing them on God. Look what it says in Isaiah 61, verse 3. It says, the garment of praise. Look, it's in the middle. It puts the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that we may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The thought is this, we put on the garment of praise. We put on the garment of praise for every 
every spirit of heaviness. Come on, we clothe ourselves in praise, in the armor of God, that we can stand. What happens when we put on the garment of praise? God calls us a tree. You know what happens in a storm? A tree stands. Why? Because the roots are down. And when storms and tribulations come, a tree doesn't cry. It just drives its roots further down. Come on, Jesus said we're to be trees standing. Come on, in righteousness we'll be planted in the Lord, that he would be glorified. You know how God gets the glory on this earth? That men may see your good works and bring glory to God in heaven. Matthew 5 says that. God doesn't get no glory when I'm laying flat on my face in defeat and failure. Come on, God gets glory when I get back up again and I stand again and say, come on, devil, if that's the best you've got, watch out because I've got more. Because greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, it's that which prepares us and dresses us for victory. Too many Christians, look at this statement, too many Christians have got the gear, but they don't have the game. Too many Christians have got the gear, but they don't have the game. I love to play golf. I don't know if anyone plays golf. I love to play golf. I'm not a good golfer, but I like to play. I always say anything in life, I always say anything in life, when it starts being fun to me, I'm going to quit it, because why do something that makes you miserable? With these people you play golf with, you can't talk, you can't breathe when they're taking the shots. If that's how you are, don't even bother inviting me to play golf. I'm just having a conversation while I'm up there. Give me a reason why to hit a bad shot. So I can say, man, if you hadn't been talking, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, right, that's a lie, because I can talk and just do it all. But you know there's something that always amuses me about golf is this. People have all the gear. You go to the clubhouse and you're ready to go out on the course and you look at these people, man, their shoes are just like, wow. They've got the golfing pants, they've got the golfing shirts, they've got the golfing hats, they've got the gloves, they've got the clubs and the bag. The bag's massive. I mean, goodness me, they could take that on a two-week vacation, take the clubs out and they'd have enough room to pack clothes for the whole family for two weeks in some of those bags. And those clubs, you've got to understand this, clubs are expenses for a Callaway driver, a driver, a Callaway driver club. You're talking about 400, maybe 450 bucks for just one club. They have about three of those in everyone's bag. You have a one wood, a two wood, and mo- or three wood, and a five wood most of the time. And that's without the other nine that you have. And then you have an extra sand wedge. And then you have a putter that's a couple of hundred bucks too. You're talking about thousands of dollars, perhaps even just in clubs. I bought mine for 100 bucks, just saying. All my clubs, there you go, but there you go. But what I'm saying is this, they have all the gear. But you know what I love to do at golf? I love to stand at the tee box, number one tee box. And I love to watch all these people have got all the gear. And I can tell before they even hit the ball whether they're going to be good or not by just how what they call address the ball. Just how they address the ball before and they position themselves. You see, I always laugh because golf is one of those things that you can have all the gear, but you don't have no game. Come on, they stand up and they're hitting the dirt and the dirt's going further than the ball is and the ball's going over here and they're shouting for and everything is happening. Oh, but they look the part. You know what? There's too many Christians that look the part, but they have no game. Come on. There's too many people that are trying to impress everyone else by look at me and what I'm doing. But you know what? It's not about impressing. It's about the game. I used to coach soccer and you had some kids that would show up and their cleats were like, man, their parents had to take out a second mortgage on their house to pay for those cleats. I mean, they're so expensive. And you're thinking, praise God, I finally got someone who can play soccer on my team. And the parents come up and say, um, this is my child's first time of playing soccer. And, uh, and you're like, oh man, 
Listen, do me all of, just, just do, do us all a favor. If your kids haven't got the game, don't give them the gear till they get the game. I mean, don't put them out, but don't put them out with $500 shoes if they don't know how to play. Just give them enough to, because don't be like those other parents, come on, that have the gear, but they don't give their kids any game. But come on, there's so many Christians that have the gear and they don't have the game. Okay, that's my introduction for real. Now the story. <laughs> the title of our message today is this. Impossible. Possible. Impossible. Possible. With some dots in between. Because some things happen in between impossible and possible. And those things involve God. When God's involved, you can keep going. When God's involved, it's a period at the end of impossible. Come on, one dot is all you'll get. It's a period. It's the end. It's impossible. But when it's God, it continues into the possible. I want you to see that. And we're going to look at the story again of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 2. Read it with us. It says that King Neb had a dream. Is it all right if we call him Neb? He's not here to complain. It's easier to say. So let's say it. Daniel chapter 2 verse 1. Now the second year of Neb's reign, Neb had a dream. And his spirit was so troubled that sleep left him. Something stirred him so much in a dream It terrified him that he had no sleep. He had no rest. Probably the kingdom was uneased too because if the king didn't sleep, the people around him didn't sleep either. So the king comes up to them and here's what he demanded. And here's where the impossible comes into. Are you ready? The king demanded for all the wise men of whom Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were a part of. The king demanded them and said to them, listen, here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to tell you the dream, but you're going to tell me what it is and you're going to interpret it. Come on, how many would say that's impossible for man to do? It's just like me saying, Robert, you're a great guy. We've hung out some. We we had a good time. I want you to tell me right now at 10 o'clock yesterday morning what I was thinking in my mind. I was driving in my car. I want you to tell me what I was thinking. And listen, here's the deal, Robert, just to give you a little bit of incentive. If you don't tell me exactly what I was thinking and what it means, I'm going to kill a minger and I'm going to kill all your kids. I mean, isn't that impossible? I mean, isn't it impossible? I want you to see this. That's impossible with man, but not for God. See, possible. Impossible man, possible God. So the king gets really mad with everyone, and he says, I'm going to kill you all. I love what they say in verse 11 of chapter 2. I love it. So the wise men came up to the king, and this is what they say. This is a difficult thing. They're right, difficult thing. I mean, it's an impossible thing. Trying to be politically correct. This is an impossible, difficult thing that the king requests. Notice this though. And there is no other who can tell the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. I want you to catch this. Because what they're saying is there's only one person that perhaps could have answered this. And that was the gods, small g, the fake gods that we serve. But notice what they say. But they're not here because they're dead. You know, this this is a confession that they're making that the gods that we serve are dead. Because if they were still alive, they would still be able to speak. Come on, they're just a statue. They're just a has-been. They're just a a were. They're just something from the past. Aren't you glad that we don't serve a God that I wished he was here in the flesh because he's dead, but he's buried? Aren't you glad that we serve a living God? Aren't you glad that the tomb is empty, that you can't go to the place he lives? Come on, they made a confession or died because he lives. They made a confession that day and they didn't even realize what they were saying. They were saying, our gods are dead and powerless, just like we are, but not our God. Daniel prayed. 
And he gathered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the boys, and they prayed together. And guess what happened? God answered. Why did God answer? Because there's power in prayer. We need to begin to pray and trust God. And Daniel explains the dream, and he saves the day. He saves every life of those. The king began to kill the wise men. And Daniel said, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. Let me pray and ask God. Daniel saves the day. You've got to realize, me living ready, me living prepared, me having purpose in my life is for more than just me. Come on, my life can be used to save other people's lives around me too. Because Daniel had an interpretation to a dream. Other lives were spared around him. You've got to realize the excellent spirit that God wants to place inside of you is to be used to touch other people around. Look at this statement. God has strategically placed your life. Strategically placed. I'm the only one saved in my family. God has strategically placed you there. Well, my work, I work in, everyone's just miserable. They're all away from God. It's such darkness. It just gets my spirit down. God has strategically placed you there. That you can have an excellence inside of you. Because you're living prepared. Standing on the word of God. That you can bring hope and healing and deliverance and life to those around you. Verse 47 and 48. You could preach a whole message on each one of these points, and I'm trying not to. The king answered Daniel. Here's what he said as a result of the interpretation. He says, truly your God. He didn't say truly my gods and the ones that we serve. He said, but truly your God is the God of all gods. Small g. He's the capital G of all the fake G's. Come on, the small G's. He's the big cheese. Come on, he's the big kahuna. He's the one. He's the what? He's the Lord of kings. He is the revealer of secrets. And since you could reveal this secret, then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many gifts and made him ruler over the whole providence of Babylon. You know what? I believe God wants to place such an excellent spirit in every one of us that our bosses and people around us will come to us and say, you know what, there's something about you. You're the hardest worker. You're the most faithful. You're the most committed. I, I just really feel that you can be promoted here and you can take over. Because any time you have the excellence of God in your life, you're going to be noticed by other people. They may not understand why, and we're going to discover that in a minute. They may not know why and what it is. But something's going to be noticed in you that's going to distinguish you above everyone else. And that's why you've got to live with a purpose. That's why you've got to live prepared. That's why you've got to be the change. Because when you live like that, your life is going to go further than you ever dreamt of. Daniel, as a young boy, was taken from his home. Every dream he had, maybe he wanted to be a professional football player or whatever. He was taken from his land and he thought, man, I'll never be able to fulfill that dream. I'll never be. I'm sure his life for many days thought, I'll never be anything. But because he purposed in his heart, God took him to places he never dreamed that he would ever be. That can be you. That can be me. And I really wanted to get to the fiery furnace today because I was ready to preach on that. But I just want to camp here just for a few moments. I don't want to keep you much longer, but we've got home field advantage. And we just want to keep you just for a few minutes. If you want to leave at any time, feel free to go. We love you and thank you for being here. I'm not going to keep you long, just maybe about two and a half more hours, but it won't be long. In fact, we just keep you here. We got married for life at 5.30, so if we finished about five, that would give you a few minutes just to freshen up and be ready for the class. But from a test of impossibility, God came through for Daniel. 
gave the interpretation, and his life was blessed. Impossibility became possible. I want to parallel, if I could, the life, just go alongside the life of Daniel and jump over parallel to the life of David. I love David, probably one of my favorite men in the Bible. God is looking for a replacement for Saul because of Saul's disobedience. He said Samuel to, to the prophet. He sends Samuel, the prophet, to Jesse's house. Not just any house, but a specific one. Look what it says in Daniel 16.1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul, the man that God wasn't God's choice, it was man's choice? Samuel was told to anoint the people's king, but now God said, Now it's time for my king. God says, How long are you going to mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? He says to him, fill your horn with oil and go, because I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king amongst his sons. Samuel shows up, says to Jesse, bring all your sons, we're going to have a party. Every one of the sons in order stands from the firstborn to the younger stands. And Saul, Samuel looks at the first one and he says, wow, that's got to be God's chosen Eliab. And he tries to anoint him and God says, no, no, no. Look what it says in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 16. God says to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. I've rejected him. He's not what I want. For the Lord doesn't see as man sees. For man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. That which is purposed, prepared and planned, lived inside of each one of our hearts. Just like what Daniel, he purposed, remember, in his heart. And that was what made Daniel usable. And we're now going to see what made David usable. In our lives every day, we engage in so many activities and functions and invest so much in things that are going to help and build our outer person. Whether it's memberships at the gym, whether it's the clothes that we buy, whether it's all these things. And it's not that those things are wrong, but it's wrong when we do those things at the expense of the most important, which is the heart. The expense of the inward. For most of you, you wouldn't think anything now of buying a pair of shoes for 120 bucks because that's how much they cost. You can't buy your kids a pair of shoes now in the store for probably less than about 70, 80 bucks. I'm like, what? They used to be like 15, 20 bucks, showing our age right there, but they're really expensive now. And you think they build them probably for cheaper and make them than they've ever done before, and they're now more expensive. And you look at all those kind of things, but you don't think nothing of shelling out 120 bucks there. But when you need a new Bible, $40, oof. Do, you have a, do you have a cheaper one? Do you have something a little bit kind of not? Think about that. No questions on the things that will satisfy the outward, but when it comes to the inward, we scrimp, we tuck, we say, no, not now. So Samuel says to Jesse, is this all of them? I, I think at this time Samuel's beginning to think he's missed God. He hasn't heard God. And here's what he says to him in verse 11. Samuel says to Jesse, Are all the young men here? And Jesse said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is over there keeping the sheep. I'm not trying to read too much into the scripture, but it sounds a lot to me like Jesse is saying, Yes, there's one more, but he's not what you're looking for. There is one more, but he's not king material. He's just a little shepherd boy that likes to run around and sing pretty little songs and play his harp. A king, no way. He's not what you are looking for. Hmm. 
What man is not looking for, God was preparing him for. What man is looking for, God was preparing him for. And Samuel said to Jesse, send him and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes. Literally meaning, we're not going to go, I'm not going to leave until you send for him. So in walks David, verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. But there was more. And God says, arise and anoint him for this is the one. This is the one who would grow to be the greatest king that Israel has ever had. This is the one that would grow to be known as a man after God's own heart. I think the highest title that could ever be given to a person that he has God's heart inside of him. But notice this. The one who man said, no way to. Man said, impossible. God said, fully possible. What man said, impossibility to, God says, my choice, possible. You know what that means, that God chose David? You better know what that means. That means God can choose you. Because the last time I checked, most of us were not the first choice. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Come, we were the one left on the fence when everyone else had been picked and no one wanted us on their team. Come on, we're the ones who've been told by people, you'll never make anything in life. You'll never be. You're nothing special. Look at you. You've done this, that. Come on. We weren't the choice of man, but we are the choice of God. And God, that means that I can be the change just like David and just like Daniel. That I can be the change as I stand in God and trust God. He can take impossibilities and make them possible. God can use us in our failures, in our mistakes, in our blown chances if we'll just surrender all our lives to him. You see, God had been preparing David in the wilderness. We grumble and complain about the wilderness, but sometimes when we get on in life and we think we've moved beyond it, we can look back and realize the wilderness was perhaps the greatest times of our life. Come on, there's a whole lot more things to lust over in the palace than what there is in the wilderness. You've only got a couple of sheep. You've only got some people. Most of the women, if they were shepherds, you probably didn't want to be around those. Come on now. But there's a lot more things to want. There's a lot more riches to deal with. You've got a lot more money in the palace. A lot more things that can steal your attention than what you had in the wilderness. All you had in the wilderness, if you remember, is God. You had to hold on to God. And God was using you there to prepare you for your next assignment. So here's David, anointed king. But where does he go? Back to the wilderness. Back to the sheep. He doesn't go to the palace. Why? Because God hasn't finished with him yet. A lot of us think that God's blessing and God's anointing and for us to be chosen of God just means that we're going to make it to the palace. That that's what God is. It's promotion, it's blessing. It can be that, of course. But it can also be put back in the wilderness so you can be prepared for your assignment. Daniel had to be faithful in the menial things. I'm not going to eat that food. Someone could have said, well, that's no big deal. Just eat it and shut up. Daniel said, no, it was the menial, the small things that people look around that made the biggest difference. It's the small things. But in order before he had to stand, he had to do those things first before he could stand before a king. Do you see the pattern? If you want to get to before a king, you've got to live prepared. You've got to be prepared to do what it takes to get you to that place. You've got to be the change. You know what be the change is? Be the change is about where you're at, not where you're going. Look at this statement right here. If you don't get... The at right, there's no going. If you don't get the at right now where you're at, if you don't get it right right now, there's no going to what 
you think is ahead of you. So back to David, we read in 1 Samuel 16, trying to get this done. I've got like five minutes. I'm over, I know. Help me, Jesus. Who'll give me five minutes? Five more minutes. Five more. Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45. Fantastic. Thank you. Give me about 55 minutes right there. Appreciate it. 1 Samuel 16, verse 16. Here's, look what it says. A distressing spirit comes upon Saul. And the people said, let's find someone who plays skillfully with a harp to play. And it says, let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skilled player on the harp. And that he will play it with his hands when the distressing spirit from God is upon you and you shall be well. Notice this, they didn't say, let's find someone who prays well. They said, let us find someone who plays well. Not prays, as in P-R-A-Y, but plays, P-L-A-Y. Not a prayer but a player. Let us find someone who is skilled with what he does play. So if you notice the help wanted ad that they put up all around them was a skilled player of the harp. It didn't say he needs to be full of God and he needs to be a man of God. Now hold these thoughts. We're getting somewhere with this. And read on. It says verse 18, and one of the servants said, look, I've seen the son of Jesse. Verse 19, if you would jump ahead, it says, the one who's still with the sheep. He's still with the sheep. The son of Jesse, who's still with the sheep. It says, he is a skillful in playing. He is a mighty man of valor. He is a man of war. He is prudent in speech. He is a handsome person. Notice what it says, and. And. It's just like an afterthought. And by the way, as a bonus, God is with him. What did they see in David? Did they see that he was a man of God? No. What did they see? He was skilled at what he did. He was a mighty man. He was valid. He was handsome. He had all these things. In fact, they saw things in David that he wasn't even. The Bible says he hadn't even fought a battle yet, but he was seen as a mighty warrior. I preached a whole message on this. The reason why he was seen as that is because if you're a praiser and worshiper, God sees things in you that you don't even see. But think about that. He's all these things, but he hasn't even done those things yet. But he's everything. Oh, and by the way, God is with him. What do people see in you? Everything else first before you're a Christian. Let's turn the table around. You know what's the most important thing to our life? Living our lives for Jesus is the most important thing for us. But notice this. It's the last thing that most people ever see. But you know what they see? They see an excellent spirit. They see a diligent worker, someone who's hard at work, someone who's skilled in what he does. For David to be able to play the harp like he did, he had to cart that harp through the wilderness. It wasn't like just a little flute that he could put in his pocket. That's a harp he's got to strap on his back and carry through and all the struggles and trials. Yes, David had a harp for God. Yes, Daniel had an excellent spirit. But it wasn't just because they were a Christian. That's important. We must be saved. But it also involves living a committed life. A lot of Christians out there that don't live good lives. A lot of Christians out there that they can turn around. Like, like use this example. This is how I want it to be. What about if we bring someone up on the platform and they cannot sing one bit? And we say to them, but they love Jesus. And that's all that matters. I want to say something more matters than them loving Jesus. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I think they need to be singers. 
and know how to sing and at least be able to carry a tune semi in a bucket and know what they're talking about. You see, those things matter in our lives. What about the faithfulness, the diligence? What about doing our part, which is hard at times? You see, every day, even as Christians, we have the choice. I have the choice to do wrong every day. I have the choice to say wrong things. I have the choice to go wrong places. Josh was laughing yesterday. He texted me in the middle of the day and says, what are you doing, shopping or at the movies? I said, why? You saw my car, didn't you? He said, yeah, I've got Pastor P on the back of my car. You can't hide that where you go. I said, actually, my wife is driving it, so watch out. But I'm out with the boys too. Me and Judah and Luke had the day out too, the boys' day. But we've got to watch because living prepared isn't just I'm a Christian. It's been diligent, faithful, and committed to the tasks that are given to us because the people around you are going to see those things because they don't understand the Christian thing. They're going to say, what is it about you? And then you can say it's God. But all they see is you're a hard worker, that you make it, you stand. I went out with a, a man once, a lot older than me, and I said, what advice would you give a young minister like me that would help me to stay pure and holy before God? And he said these words. Look at this statement. He said this. Remind yourself every day that we only live one decision away from destroying our lives. You live one decision away from destroying your life. Think about that. One decision away. You see, it's living life with purpose and prepared, a fixed mind. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be that. But what? I'm going to be the best I can do in everything I do. If I'm at work, I'm going to be the hardest worker. If I'm going to do this, why? Because that's living prepared. That's living ready. That's planning your life. That when the tests come, impossibilities can become possible for your life. One statement and then I'm going to close. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer. He wasn't Martin Luther King. But Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, said this statement. Listen to these words. It's on the screen. He says, The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves a clean floor. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes he makes, but by making Good shoes. Because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Well, if I just say I'm a Christian, then it makes everything else okay. No, 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 no. God gets the glory through us being the best. Doing the best. Living the best. Being prepared. That when the trials and the tribulations come, we're going to make it through. God wants the best out of our lives. That's the type of person that can face impossibilities and the impossible test, but yet come out on the other side with possibility stamped all over it. Come on, in your marriage, do it well. Be the best that you can be because that's what God wants you to do. In your work, do well. In your finances, do well. With your kids, do well. In life, period, do well because that which brings glory to God. May people say of you, You're the hardest worker. You're a family man. You love your kids. You're good with your money. You you take care of yourself and you're a Christian. That's what I want people to say of me. Not just he's a Christian and if that's what Christianity is, I don't want that. Come on, I want to live prepared. Look at this. Let the excellence of the life you live show others that you live for God. Let the excellence of the life you live show others that you live for God. That's living prepared. 
that impossibilities can become possible when we surrender and give everything to God and stand upon his word and faith and truth. Would you stand to your feet with us today? Didn't even finish my message, I'm sorry. I want us to do something as we close the service. We did this at the 9 o'clock service, and I want to do it again. As Stephen just begins to play, you know what I want to do? I want to invite every one of you, if you would, right now. Would you just come down to the front right now and just stand down the front with us? Just to push in as close as you can so other people can get around you. You know what I want us to do? I'm going to ask Megan and them to sing this song again. All I want to do is worship. All I want to do is just to make your name great again. God, all I want to do is just to give to you. I want us to make a fresh commitment to God and say, God, I want to live prepared every day. I want to build my life, not upon my opinions and what I want. But God, I want to build my life upon faith in you, a steadfast faith that's immovable. That God, I can trust you with my life. I can trust you with everything. Come on, I can give you everything. Come on, it's time to live prepared. We don't know the test that's going to face us tomorrow. But I'm not worried about those things because I'm preparing myself right now. I'm preparing myself for the victories that I'm going to have. That no matter which way Satan comes in, the Bible says he'll come against you one way, but he has to flee before you seven ways. I love seven. Seven is the number of God. So that means God has to be involved and he will be involved. But it also means too, that completion, it means that he'll be completely defeated and whooped as he comes in against you. God says, I'm going to completely whoop him and he's going to have to flee and run from you. Come on. That's what God wants to do in your life. Come on, it's time to live prepared and give our lives to God and just to honor God with everything that we are today. Thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heartseas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp.hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.